Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I am Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we are here to show what I think could possibly be one of Chris's favourite horror movies to date. Uh, on account of the fact that he's bleak as arseholes. So, uh, we know exactly his cup of tea. Uh, we're covering Hereditary. Um, ahead of time, Chris, over the excitement and enjoyment of Hereditary, did you uh, did you watch anything else this week? I, I have. In, in stark contrast, I decided to watch, on someone's recommendation, uh, Hubie's Halloween. Yes, I also so that- watched. Halloween. That prepared me perfectly. <laughs> well, apparently, originally, uh, Adam Sandler had the, uh, the Gabriel Byrne role in uh, Hereditary. <laughs> I, think he, I think he had to drop out of it to do something else. What did you make of it, Chris? Oh, so I, like, I thought there was a lot of good in, in Hubie's Halloween. If you took out Adam Sandler, it would have been a really good film. Do you, know, do you know, if he had just dialed his character yeah. back, this is the problem. Everybody was playing it like a kind of, like, Adam's laughing at me already. What? I, no, I just back? love the idea that you think you could tell him. Yeah, like, well, you have the concept of dial it back, huh? Yeah. I don't think it was registered with Adam Sandler. It's his but, production but, company as well, so, I mean... But what's funny, though, right, Ben Stiller is in it, and it was him in... Uh, What's it called? Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, yeah. Yeah, Never who full talked retard. about yeah, like so. How does that work? Like, well, they must know. I almost, yeah, I almost but, wonder if it's. But it's aimed at you know, it's not aimed at us, is it? It's it's aimed at us probably at the age of you know fourteen. See, this is the problem. I found it. I couldn't work out who it was supposed to be for because it, it had too much swearing in it for you to show yeah. a small child. But Adam Sandler's performance was like mm. uh, Ernest P. Worrell, effectively. Mm. Like it was full on Ernest Saves Christmas or Ernest Goes to Camp. Um, yeah. So, and everybody else is playing it not straight, but yeah. straight. Mm. And yeah, so I was like, well, he's acting as if he's trying to sell this to small children, mm. but they all keep saying shit. Um, and, and, and like you say, the, uh, the mother's t shirts. Mother's T-shirt collection, <laughs> yeah, I want more than anything yeah. in the world. So what yeah. was that? Because you did say the T-shirts were good. So Any the, muffs diving school. The mother has bought a load of T-shirts from the thrift store, <laughs> yeah. um, but she doesn't know what any of them mean. So she just <laughs> keeps wearing like a T-shirt with Bona Donor written across it. And, <laughs> like, it's just like it's hilarious. It really yeah. That was the thing. Like, it had some really good elements to it. Yeah, yeah. There's loads uh, to like in it. Just, yeah. I don't just quite a get it. Or if you just took his performance out, I would have enjoyed it much more. It's not a terrible film, mm. um, but I don't think it's going to be an enduring Halloween classic, unfortunately. <laughs> but good effort. Yeah. Oh, just for the record, I did suggest that maybe we all watched it before this evening. Um, Adam and just could not. Myself, which. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have watched it and then given us some of your uh, your impersonations of him. No, I think I'll stick with the I think I'll stick with the gif I sent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think guy and I. <laughs> we would definitely lose listeners. I think if uh, we would offend somebody if Adam were to do his impression of Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, 
bearing yeah. in mind what we have had to cut out. So, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes out of last week's episode, but yeah, let's not go back into that. No, um, we've got to cut this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. Well done, Chris. Uh, anything else? No, no, that's that's me this week. Sterling effort. Fantastic. Well done. Um, Adam, have you caught up with anything? I've listened to on BBC, BBC Radio 4 and on the BBC Sounds app, you can listen to the whole of they've done an adaption of the 70s kids show, um, like drama, Children of the Stones. Oh, OK. We had a recommendation to watch that, didn't we, from a listener? I think we did, actually. Or uh, certainly we've had a few because, the, oh, yeah, because there was, um, I think there was some Lovecraft. Like, They've been mm. doing quite a few good adaptions on there. Um, and this was by, uh, this is done by Bafflegab, who were the guys who did uh, recent audio versions of Blood on Satan's Claw and The Hellbound Heart. Like, nice. The novella that Hellraiser is based on, but they stick to the uh, they stick to the book much more closely. Um, they've updated it, and I'll admit, at the very start, I was kind of I'm not sure if I like this because, like the the main two characters, like a, a father and daughter in the original, it's father and son, but in this, I think I found both of them a bit sort of like, oh fuck off, because they're both you know they're both hurting and stuff like that, but it's sort of yeah, it was still a bit sort of, no, can you, yeah, just, no, this sounds stupid. Um, but I gradually got into it, and uh, the character of Hendrick, who is like the main villain, is played by Reece Shearsmith. Mm-hmm. Um, the dad, which I found quite, which was quite odd, like I say, that I did find his character a bit annoying, it's Steve Oram, who is okay. who is really great. So I do think it might be more of a writing thing than it. Certainly than a performance thing, because I do like Steve Oram quite naturally, and Ralph Innocent's in it as well. But it's it is it's well done, but it takes its time getting there because the original bit, like they've they've sort of updated it so the the daughter's got a, uh, does like a podcast herself of like strange and mysterious stuff, and it all feels a bit sort of hmm, uh, oh you've crowbarred that in a bit, uh, but then you get the essence of the actual story. Sort of once you actually get into the story itself, much actually. I mean, in fairness, that is probably much how the first, the the actual original series works. In that the first episode is very sort of because it's the setup; it's quite slow. Hmm. But then, as you get drawn into it, you you know it does actually get into some spooky and quite creepy areas. Um, so def- definitely worth definitely worth a listen. Um, it's and like it's all there; it's all free. I mean, I think I I listened to it most like through an afternoon because I think the longest episode is maybe twenty minutes, and some of them are only like fifteen and stuff like that. So it's quite it's quite quick, um, a quick listen, and it and also it probably would give you an indication whether you wanted to try out the original. Yeah, definitely. If you can uh, point me in the direction of this, I'm very interested to check it out. To be honest, yeah, really yeah. Well, if you go on like, if you just go on a BBC website on like iPlayer or whatever and put in Children of the Stones, um, it, you'll find it. And I think it's is up for at least a year. Excellent. They're being quite, pretty long term with a lot of this stuff now, which is good. Um, uh, the only other thing that uh, in the week. Uh, 
the fucking hell, how many times I'm going to say, uh, sorry. In in the week, the trailer for the show came out, which is the film written by Alan Moore, like which is, uh, I think, possibly Andrew O'Neill was in it. Uh, He certainly got thank you on the director's post about the uh, film coming out, like the trailer coming out, Um, and it's getting quite good uh, reactions. It's like I think it's been premiered at a festival this week and seems to be getting some good notices and everything. So I went back and watched, uh, before this, the director and Alan Moore, like the same director, Mitch Jenkins, and Alan Moore had created what they called show pieces, which were like almost like proof of concept for this film to get it funded. Hmm. They did it through Kickstarter and stuff like that, and I just re-watched those last night in preparation. And I do have to recommend them. They are... So very, it's very Alan Moore, but it's like it's almost very. It has a very British sensibility to it, but equally, it's basically it's about people dying and going to not hell, but a nocturnal version of Northampton. <laughs> that, and and here's the best bit that appears to have been created by like an equivalent of Peter Cook because it's basically Alan Moore is part of a double act called Metaton and Match Bright and obviously Match Bright um, sort of Lucifer and Metaton is like Metaton which is the voice of God Yeah. Uh, so Frank Metaton and Nicky Match Bright who were this 60s double act very much like Pete and Dud but somehow Metaton was an occultist and he's somehow, after their death, created this other world where he is God and Dudley Moore is the devil. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's a very sort of dark, funny, odd thing. And now I am desperate, even more so than when I just watched the trailer, because I'd seen, I'd seen them before and stuff. But even before I, even once I saw the trailer... But yeah, watch rewatched them the other night. I was just sort of like, right, I've got to see this fucking film now. Because yeah. e- even down to the fact that I know that the I noticed, and this is the first time I've noticed it, the person who is playing the main character is Tom Burke, who is the son of the original Doctor Watson in uh, the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, David Burke, I think it is. Who turn who appears in um some of the MR James adaptions that they did a few years back. Yes. And yeah, Tom and it's his son, Tom Burke, um, who also I believe was in I think he was in number thirteen. Yeah, I think he's he like was, yeah, he played that of landlord. Yeah. And um yeah, he's very um but I noticed that his voice appears in the very first film. Like he's credited as the voice on the end of a phone, and it's like I didn't, you know, it's it's literally nothing. It's you barely hear it, but obviously it's like this has been planned, planning and sort of bubbling in their heads for so long that they'd already contacted this guy. That's like, right, eventually you're going to play the main role, but can you literally phone a performance in for us for like a day? So yeah, um, but no, it's. I highly recommend tracking down show pieces if you can. And I myself, I've got to see this damn film because 
it's getting good notices, but also from people who haven't necessarily like watched all of show pieces and stuff. So I think it's something that probably works on its own. Mm. But uh, yeah, so and that's all the weather. Mm-hmm. You saying about trailers? Actually, I wasn't going to mention it because I've watched a buttload of stuff, but I'm going to keep it brief. I'm going to try and keep it down to a minute per movie-ish. Um, I've just noticed something weird's happened with Craig. I don't know if that's important or not. What's happened to Craig? He's disappeared and turned into two dots that are spinning round. I can still see him. I can okay. still see him. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're recording on uh, Discord and uh, Craig is doing something weird for Chris. Yeah. Um, right, so, uh, talking of trailers, I saw the trailer this week um, from... Uh, <laughs> Adam has got a lollipop there, uh, and it's a pumpkin. Lovely. Um, oh, that, that's trick-or-treat. Or, it's a lovely orangey biscuit. Oh, mm-hmm. lovely. It is trick-or-treat. Well spotted. Mm-hmm, yeah. I thought that when he picked it up and it had a bite missing out of it. Um, no, that's being a fat bastard. That's why I had a bite. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me into the trailer. Uh, so oh, the trailer for Fat Man. Has anyone seen the trailer for Fat Man? No. Is he like Batman? Holy shit. Right, now, it's coming out this Christmas. Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus. Santa Claus has given a horrible turd of a child a piece of coal. The child has hired a hitman, and it's Santa Claus versus a hitman. And Santa Claus is played by Mel Gibson. It looks hilarious and Really, really good fun. Um, yes, so I shall be checking that out. It, it was one of those, somebody put the trailer up and I was like, film called Fat Man. And then once I started watching it, I was like, he's supposed to be Santa Claus. And then it all just unraveled. And I was like, it's Santa Claus with guns fighting another man with guns. It's just going to be exceptional. So go and check out that trailer because it really got me excited. Um. So, stuff I've watched this week in order. Um, number one, I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original movie from 1992. Oh, yeah. Um, it was strange. Um, I, quite, I quite enjoyed it, um, but it hasn't aged particularly well. Um, And the problem is, again, like we were saying with um, Adam Sandler in uh, in Hubie, the so the main vampire is Rutger Hauer and his main assistant is played by Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And he's a completely different movie to everybody else. Everybody else is doing it kind of straight comedy and he is doing this crazy slapstick mental nonsense yeah well he does doesn't he but like just as a weird aside i saw that um tim burton directed the first Pee Wee home film yeah ah. peewee's big adventure is tim burton <laughs> that seems really weird. Yeah. <laughs> i've not seen peewee's uh big adventure or peewee's playhouse maybe but, I should. but he does play that character in everything doesn't he he's he's yeah, I think he like, does, unfortunately. And, and, and the thing is, he doesn't look anything like him in oh, okay. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, he, he looks, and that was why I was like, why is this guy acting completely mm. different? Like, it, It's funny because Jennifer said it was the one bit she remembered was his death because she remembered it being <laughs> hilarious. And it is, but it's so tonally different to the whole rest of the film. But that actually makes me want to watch this. Just to... 
it's a good film. I, I enjoyed it. For, I, I think um, I might have seen it at the cinema, possibly. I, I'm fairly certain I watched it because I, I seem to remember I watched this, but then never watched the series. I never saw the series. Adam saw all of them. Really. Really? I, I know loads of people. I got as far as series five, and then bloody mm. um, Granada lost their digital license. Mm. Uh, Halfway through a series, the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's funny how bad the vampires look now. <laughs> like they look really, really shit. And and I think I saw this. So this came out in '92. I think I saw it on. TV when it was initially premiered on TV, so that must have been about '95, and I haven't seen it again since. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time for me. Um, I then followed it up the next night with a film that I have seen very recently because I watch it at least every six months. I watched Elvira, Mistress of the Dark mm. uh, from 1988, solid yeah. movie. We need to cover that. It's so much fun, it's so campy and fun. Uh, and the terrible 80s song that has to be in every film is right at the very end. So you can watch up until that point and then just turn it off. <laughs> it's great. Um, so then I went to Shudder um, and watched their new release that came out this week. Um, I watched Scare Me. Mm-mm. Oh, yes. Um, it should have been called Yes and the Movie. Um oh, right, okay. It, it, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it. I genuinely did. I was a little bit let down by the end, but I couldn't work out how they were going to end it anyway. It's, it's, um, so the idea is it's a guy, he wants to be a writer, so he's gone out and he's hired um, a little cabin on um, like a park in upstate New York where they just have these little log cabins set mm. out. And they're all separate. So he goes and stays in it during the winter, during the snow to lock himself in and effectively write. And while he's out jogging, he bumps into the woman who's hiring the cabin opposite him, and she has just written the biggest bestseller, best-selling horror movie, uh, best-selling horror book in, like, forever. And everyone's claiming it's one of the greatest books ever written and stuff. Um, they have a power cut that night, and she goes over to his, because she's like, look, we've locked it. We've got nothing to do. We've got no power. We can't do anything. So she goes over there and they decide to tell each other scary stories to keep each other entertained. Um, but they kind of, they don't just tell them, they kind of act them out as they go in. So it's like having two drama students locked in a room trying to out improv each other. Um, genuinely really, really funny. I really liked it. Um, uh, he's a bit of a dick, but he's supposed to be. Um, yeah, and she's just thoroughly hilarious and awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good film. Uh, and then a third character comes in about halfway through who's just totally falls into their little dynamic, and it, it goes really well. It's a really good film. So uh, it's, it's uh, funny because from that, it, you know, it's hard to see how they make that into a full film, but yeah, it's in the details. Well, it's it's a bit like um, it's a bit like an anthology film, but instead of mm, okay. having the wraparound story and seeing it, it's one person going right. I'm going to tell you a story. It's about a werewolf, and this happened, and mm. they kind of they put special effects on so that although it's only one person talking and acting it out, 
like they put the silhouettes in so when he's pretending to be a werewolf his shadow looks like a werewolf oh, and, okay yeah and when she's doing a funny voice they put like a big echoey thing on it so it actually mm. sounds like a demon voice yeah and it's yeah it is like being locked in a cabin with two hilarious drama students it was really good fun mm. um i then watched uh charlie brown the great pumpkin because it's a Halloween tradition. It's amazing. Don't need to say anything about that. Other than if you've never watched The Great Pumpkin, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Go and watch it. It's 25 minutes long. It's an absolute classic. And show your children. There's nothing scary in it. It's fantastic. There's a, there's a redone, uh, not redone, but like a modern version of Peanuts. Da, da, da. Da, 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 peanuts. Um, <laughs> that, they haven't adopted that as the thing, but um, I was yeah. Um, we watched it a few times with Ted, and Christ on a bike, every single one of them's bloody annoying though. Oh really? Yeah, oh. They, just they're all a bit of a personality. I know that's the whole point, but it's like oh, they're just guts. <laughs> oh dear no. Um, <laughs> So I may have to give that a miss, although we did show Ted Nightmare Before Christmas today. Oh. Um, I think he enjoyed it because when <laughs> when it finished, he threw a paddy. Oh. So I think he was I think he was quite enjoying it. And also I, there's one bit in there that I just forgot about, which felt like every band I've ever been in. Is I forgot about the bit where he's trying to get the town, you know, they've got like the town band in it. Mm. It's just like all the sort of, with all the um, <laughs> and stuff like that, trying to get in, trying to get them to uh, play like uh, M- Merry Christmas or whatever, and it just just immediately minor keys it, and it just sounds like a funeral march. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's yeah, let's let's suck the joy out of this one. Come on, <laughs> I have been in that band with you. Yes, um, excellent. Right, so. Without further ado, or a don't, or a don't. Sorry, um, I'm very keen to hear. So, Chris, being the morbid son of a bitch that you are, what did you make of Hereditary? Well, of course, as you guess, no surprises here. That that is a a masterpiece of of filming. Yeah, very nice, Adam. Um, now, I, I did mention to Adam just before we started, I'll say it again now, that I knew it was Ari Aster. So I had that in my mind. I knew that it was not a comedy. So I was like, that's it, that's fine. We're settling in, it's going to be good. But as it was unfolding, I was like, oh, no, I don't actually know what film Ari Aster did that we watched. And of course, you know, it's going on. And, and in a way, possibly that was good because I did have the surprise where it's like, I don't know where this is going to go. So... Um, obviously at some point probably halfway through I realised oh yes of course Midsummer because it's definitely got some similarities um, but yeah that is a that is a pretty seriously dark uh, <laughs> tra- tragedy uh, but mm. you know um, I do remember and I was going to ask how much details have we got about this i'm assuming adam has quite a lot but i do remember that dean was the one that gave us quite a lot of the explanation on midsummer on midsummer yeah to do with the, well, the symbols a, and it, well yeah a lot of again a lot has gone into this mm, okay in terms of like 
that I've read some. So I've read a lot of sort of stuff like interviews with Ari Aster on the way up. So, up so just this. just set me. In. So why? What is? Like, why is he so fascinated to do both Midsummer and this around similar themes? Like, why? Like, has he had some just crazy experiences? Well, apparently he's just got he's got a, he's already written. I think it's something like ten scripts, and they're the ten scripts mm. he wants to do. Okay. Um, I want to see every single one of those <laughs> right now. But he and he, um, yeah, from what I gather, he's sort of, everything's been pre-planned. He seems to be very. Into, it almost feels like a conspiracy how he does the film, because mm. it's like. For example, the composer on this is a guy called Colin Stetson. Well, he did a very good job. Yep. And uh, apparently, like, Ari Aster was in contact about with him about doing the film two years before they made mm. it. Okay. And that's, do you know what I mean? That's a long gestation period. And he obviously has, like, Tony Collette apparently called him the most prepared director mm. that she'd ever worked with. Well, he, he certainly, I mean, she's great. But he mm. certainly worked well with her. But he ter- well, he turned up with like a seventy-five page, mm-hmm. um, like shooting script for the cinematographer before they'd even scouted locations or anything. So he, mm. he and but then his whole thing with um, not so much with Midsummer because I think by then he'd been rumbled. But he seems to be a bit offhand in interviews for Hereditary about the occult stuff, just saying, oh, you know, I think it was just, it's, you know, it's just bits and, bits and bobs that you pick up. And, you know, and it's like, you, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. And I yes. mean, Midsummer, obviously, in terms of like the runic stuff and the uh, sort of paganism and things like that. And similarly with this, I mean, I'm going to go. I'm going to go straight into it because I've got it. I've got quite. There's quite a quite a bit on here. So hefty uh, tome of. So, King Payman mm. is a real figure. That I was. I was trying to find a way of putting. Uh, of basically saying he's a real demon spirit, or demon mm. or spirit. <laughs> but when I say real, what I mean is is that outside of this film. Yeah. That, yeah, that is, and he, uh, King Payman, is named in a number of early grimoires, including the Lesser Key of Solomon, Johann Weyer's. Oh, wow. I was a bit bold when I wrote this one down because I was like, yeah, oh, you'll read that, no problem. <laughs> Pseudo Monarchia Demonium. Mm. And, and here's one for you, a blast from the past The Book of Abramelin. Ah. As discussed on Welcome to Horror episode 34, a dark song which features the Abramelin ritual. It does. And again, that was a film that we talked about where it had a lot of genuine sort of occult research going into it and it felt real. And similarly with this, you know, it's um, so I'm going to. Well, actually, yeah, I've got. um, I've basically got. Here's the bio of Payment, of King Payment, sorry. One of the kings of hell, with various texts describing 
describing him as either the third, sixth, ninth, or twenty-second king. The grimoire of Pope of Pope Honorius states that he is the king of the West, and the Abramelin text refers to him as one of the eight dukes. He is loyal to Lucifer and is commander of two further kings, Bebel and Abalam. I was trying not to say Bamalam. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) He also commands with variants across sources 25 to 200 legions of spirits. His appearance is described as a man riding a dromedary wearing a crown. The camel too is sometimes crowned. He is preceded by men playing loud music, particularly crashing cymbals and trumpets, which is obviously something that Colin Stetson injects into the soundtrack whenever there's anything more Mm. supernatural going on and things like that. And in fact, someone reckons that uh, the name payment means the sound of tinkling or the sound of bells. But it was like in an undisclosed language, and this was someone not that long ago. It was like, but so... Um, again, that sort of turns up on the soundtrack. Um, King Payman is described as having a feminine face features, but uses and identifies with male pronouns. He may have the webbed feet of a waterfowl. There you go. Mm. Um, if you summon King Payman, you must look to the northwest and make an offering accompanied by candles, symbols, and music. If he appears alone, a sacrifice must be made to summon Bebel and Abalam, the two kings he commands, to do his bidding. The conjurer must first command King Payman to speak in their own language, otherwise he will only speak in his native tongue. All requests must be made without fear. In terms of his powers and what he can provide for the conjurer, he is mainly identified as a teacher with a knowledge of all sciences, arts and other secret things. He Hmm. can bestow power and influence on the conjurer, including dignities, uh, yeah, dignities, titles, familiars, and power over others' will. The book okay, so wait, wait, wait. So, so this is for summoning him, and he can bestow that on the conjurer. Yes. Uh, but in this, I, I thought they were saying that um, Peter becomes Payman. Well, this is the, yeah, but this, it's the cult who mm. worship Payman, who want Payman on Earth. Right, so that okay. he can grant them these powers. Okay. So got the bit where it says riches to the conjurer. Mm. And really, yeah. is there any more plain expression of power really these days than just being rich? You know, it's 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 crass, but it's very true that if nowadays that that is purely what equates to power. Mm. Yeah. And look at the president of the US. Exactly. <laughs> and so but apparently according to the book of Abramelin. Um, he has the knowledge of past and future events, the powers of flight, materialization of people and objects, breathing underwater, and the reanimation of the dead. Mm. Which obviously that seems to be much more hereditary's take on his powers. The conjurer will need to fulfill King Payman's own request in order that he may share his powers. So it's Presumably, within terms of hereditary, he wants physical form on Earth, mm. and so they've provided that, and they've and hope to gain from that. Um, before the fall, King Payman belonged to either the angelic hierarchies of dominions or cherubim. Sources differ, and the sigil that's used in the film 
which appears on the necklaces, the doormats. It's on the telegraph pole that decapitates the daughter. That is the symbol of King Payment. That is. Yeah, I'm looking it. at it right now on Google. It's it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, as you say, it's it's a very, it seems to be a relatively well known. Well, not well yeah. known, but if you Google it, yeah, it's all linked in. It isn't just the movie. It's a. And he, but here's Ariasta talking about it. Um, I wanted to avoid the devil. It's been done so many times. So I researched, looked for a demon in demonology. And payment struck me as one that made sense. I have no ties to the occult, and I've heard from a few sources that even payment payment is passe and obvious among occultists. Ultimately, payment was a product of me. He came in pretty late, and I just needed a name in mythology. I think even if that's that's the way, I think you've you've done more than just picked a name. Yeah, you know <laughs> it follows a lot of the. The things that are in this mythology are very, yeah, ju- it's just it's all in the film. He seems to play his genius down quite a lot from what yeah. I can tell. Like, he's, he's done so much research and made everything so relevant and brilliant mm-hmm. and then kind of goes, eh, it was just a bit off the cuff. And it's like, no, it, it, it wasn't. Like, And that's the thing about his stuff. It flows so well. It's, mm. it's someone who's really done the research and really understood it and really ingrains it in the story. As you say, it you know, I mean, look at The Exorcist. Incredible a film as that is, you could just switch Pazuzu with anybody and it almost doesn't matter. Whereas with this, it is. It's integral to the whole story. It's it's mm. all built around that mythology. Yeah. So it's obvious that even when he's picked this even if it was like a late stage, he's then gone back and revised the work. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and made that, to... yeah, he's made that effort. Um, but also, payment appears, uh, they also gets mentioned in a couple of other films. Uh, a cult worshipping payment appear in the 2014 film Last Shift, which I've, I've had on my watch list for ages and I've never got round to, but I might have to give that a whirl. Uh, and he's also mentioned in the ritual in the first Ghoulies. So, I love Ghoulies. I love all three of those also, movies. Also, you'll notice that I've been referring to him as King Payman because apparently to do otherwise defers a respect, uh, a disrespect. Oh, so, don't want to disrespect him. Well, on the basis of this film, no, I fucking don't, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, you, you sort of, like you were talking about, like with, in terms of preparation, it reminds me a bit of like when Stanley Kubrick, where it, he used to have like boxes and boxes and boxes of research. And it was like, I think it, it's John Ronson did like a thing like, uh, where he just went around and took a look at them after he died. Um, but at one point he, get, he got led into a room and it was literally like a, a full bookcase of just biographies of, I think, Napoleon. And But basically what was happening was is that Stanley Kubrick wanted to do a film about Napoleon and by the and but he was going through all these books to make sure that he knew the best one to adapt and the best one and what to take from where and by the time he'd finished doing that someone had made a fucking film about Napoleon so that was, <laughs> like the studio weren't interested it was like oh well someone else done it okay. but, <laughs> and it's just yeah it just seems but I think that yeah Ariaster's attention to detail 
it's weird because Midsummer now kind of feels like the earlier film. Yeah. And not just because of the older. I wasn't sure. I was going to ask, and it obviously, you know, it came out, I realised. But yeah, I wasn't sure from that. Yeah, because Hereditary is like the debut, and it's like so Mm. fucking well put together. Um, it's incredible and it's it, it's funny one of the things that I noticed I, I genuinely I enjoyed this the first time but I actually enjoyed it more re-watching it I didn't mm, think I would I did. because I knew where it was going I was like it's not going to have the same punch and uh, the but, same it, but it is it is the scenes are compelling and the acting fantastic and it's just so well put together they are, and the thing is it, it takes you off guard because Mm. Like we've said with films before, you can tell a really good film where the, the kind of the supernatural elements kind of take a back burner. Um, yeah, to just this family and their yeah, yeah, the human side of it. And yeah. they all wish each other were dead. It's really yeah. horrible to watch. Yeah, it's no, especially that, that um, the dinner scene when it comes out, and yeah. obviously the mother is seriously, she's you know she's in a mess, and she doesn't want to blame him, but obviously does. Yeah, she can't forgive him. But then when he turns it back on her, it's like that is you know that's a lot for everyone to be dealing with. Yeah, it's basically well. Apparently, again, uh, Ariasta did say that he was um, initially this film was just going to be a film about a family tragedy, Mm. and then he was like, "Well, actually, there's room to put in." like the supernatural elements and things like that and turn this yeah. into a horror film. But it has that... The, the film it reminds me of a lot is there's a film called uh, Possession, <laughs> which is basically Sam, uh, Sam Neill and uh, mm. uh, Isabella Huper. No. Um, oh, I can't think of her bloody name now. Um, but basically, it's a couple going through a divorce. And that is the majority of the film is mm. just they're going through a divorce and it's ugly and they're tearing lumps out of each other and the wife's been having an affair but it turns out the wife is having an affair with like an interdimensional squid demon <laughs> and yeah mm. and it's definitely a horror film but right. but the worst parts are the divorce mm, yeah. and similarly with this it's almost it's... a fucking relief when I was going to say that it's funny how that changes it. There is relief, but there's also then a different sort of edginess. But it is funny how it's almost hard to describe exactly what that does to you. You know, the the difference in the darkness that you feel towards both sides of it. Yeah, Mm. it's funny. And and he's obviously extremely good at doing both and combining them. It's It's really weird as well, because it's very similarly to Psycho. And obviously watching mm. it, seeing Psycho through you and Claire's eyes, Chris, like really gives you that feeling of the first audience seeing it, mm. where it's like, oh shit, I don't know where this is going. You know, yeah. hang on, that's the main person. And similarly, yeah. with, similarly with this, there seems to have been a thing where they, I think they were quite deliberate in that um, the daughter, like Charlie, yeah. appears in the trailer. Right, way, yeah, she seemed like she was going to be the main person you, in some way. Think, it's like, it, yeah, you start off thinking you're watching a creepy kid film, yeah, you know, it's like The Omen or something like that, yeah. where you, and then 
but the way it changes when it then yeah. she becomes the victim is like that is just seriously powerful. Now this was my pro you saying about the trailer, I went on IMDB to look up um I was checking somebody out who was in it. Um yeah, and the trailer shot on IMDB is the biggest spoiler. It's the mother mm. standing in front of the fireplace with Gabriel Byrne on fire. And I was like, you yeah. can't that can't be a shot on the homepage <laughs> of this movie. Like, it, there's almost no point in watching it. Like, if you know how that, because that scene is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The way that yeah. draws out, and you're, you're just waiting for it to happen to her or not happen to her, and then he catches fire, and you're like, yeah. Oh, where did yeah. that come from? Like, it's. Well, and the way Tony Collette changes as well, like her, her different states of mind, is mm. like, she does that so well, I think. Because she, because, you know, once she thinks she's working something out, she's so elated and she's excited getting them involved. And that, that seemed realistic. And then again there where she's like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. And then also, and I suppose she'd mentioned uh, about schizophrenia um, and it seemed, you know, he's trying to work out, is there some sort of uh, mental illness happening to at least one or all of them in some way? Like, yeah. is the boy schizophrenic and he's going to do something? Or is she, yeah, she going to do something to them? It's like, yeah, it really isn't clear exactly when how it's going to unfold. Well, because there's the double fold thing, though, of like when she's talking in the group therapy. Yeah. And she says that her mother had like multiple personality mm. um, disorder. And her brother was schizophrenic and believed his, her mother was trying to put people inside him. Mm. Which then you realise is... One is the old girl's multiple personalities possession, hmm. and was she preparing her son to be the vessel for payment? Yeah, mm, yeah, that's what he means by pay. And it's like almost, but then uh, obviously, like uh, the husband knows that, and he uh, also he is a doctor, so it's like someone who is trained to a dispassionate remove, I suppose. Yeah. To try and sort of solve a problem. So it's weird how it shifts, because obviously, first of all, you think it's going to be Tony Collette and her creepy daughter mm. like film. Then Charlie gets killed, which is just totally out of the yeah. fucking blue. And so horrible. Yeah. So, so like the, the aftermath where and it's... apparently apparently that was based on a true story of mm. two of like two friends. Well, it's completely who, believable. It could, you know, that yeah, could easily. But it was a, it was a guy who's uh, two guys who got absolutely fucking levered mm. and went out driving. One of them leaned out the window to throw up, <laughs> got decapitated by a post, and his mate drove home and did and fell asleep in the car. Didn't even realise his mate had had his head cut off, mm. and was woken up in the morning by by someone discovering them sitting in the car with him like unconscious behind the wheel and. a headless body mm. and it's it's, it's one of those accidents as you say like it's totally believable and it's so out mm. of the blue you're like oh my yeah. god you're gonna suffocate yeah. on the back seat yeah another thing everybody in this story is a prick that poor girl <laughs> clearly yeah. has got an allergy she yeah. still keeps they... eating stuff that she knows she shouldn't eat mm. and then every time they have the discussion they go have you got a we don't have the EpiPen. No, yeah. no, we haven't got it. Who is not walking around with a fucking, that fucking thing? But, yeah. but that did, that's happened to someone. I, I, remember, I don't know if it was a year ago or so, a boy in school, someone threw cheese at him 
and they didn't have an EpiPen. Why like, would you not have an EpiPen? I don't, I don't know. It just, Why would you waste cheese? Yeah. There's well, so well, many questions. Well, <laughs> well, I was wondering, like, it's almost people struggle to to avoid the bad. But if you said to them, look, if you carry your EpiPen all the time, um, and if you need it, we'll give you a million pounds. Suddenly, everyone will be carrying it. You would never not have it on you. Yeah. Is, is Adam like? <laughs> yeah, Adam is lost his shit at children throwing cheese at one another. It was, it was that. Yeah, I just didn't. I, again, it was that was that was unexpected. I, I did not think that I was going to hear someone throw cheese at. Me. Never waste cheese. No. Even bad cheese. No. It's worse than killing a goat. But and we know how Adam feels about that. If you listen back to previous episodes. Yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's um. Yeah, so they never carry the EpiPen. So you're just mm. like, well, this is an accident waiting to fucking happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but so, so yeah, so you've got like, so you, so that's that side of the story finished. Then it's like, clearly, it's Tony Collette's story. Mm. And it's like, you know, and then possibly it's going to be uh, the husband's story. It's going to be, um, oh, what is his sodding name? Gabriel Byrne's story. Yeah. Because it's then like him having to deal with her if she's yeah. breaking down, if it yeah. is her who has brought the body back to the house. Because, mm. you know, and then it's, and then finally it's the son. Mm-hmm. Really. Even though well, that and, and, and has been what's going on all the way through the it. Yeah. The mother and son, sort yeah. of their antagonism. But then just at the end, it's like, fucking hell. <laughs> that's exactly the way I feel about that film it's just you get to the end and do just go fucking hell it is one of those when you said you wanted to cover it Adam I was like yes we definitely need to two I don't want to watch it like that. <laughs> it's I, I, I mean I genuinely think I certainly it's sort of, well it's what we do we compare mm. I, I prefer it to Midsummer, but then I think also there's a there's a great deal of I think there's a there seems to be a lot of backlash on it that seems to be the people who are just like oh it's boring which is like right you're the people who don't get you're the people who don't get tension fuck off and watch mm. something that doesn't yeah. require that go and watch uh, the Baywatch movie yeah this isn't this isn't your film so just fuck off it's not it's not crap it's not boring it's mm. you haven't got the patience that's your fault um, how can you not and that's the thing like even with and, and this is one of those ones, as we've said before, like I watch this as a horror film. You can mm. forget it's a horror film and get so drawn into that horrific family dynamic that every mm. now and again when something supernatural happens, you go, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. There's a whole ghost thing going on, the <laughs> whole witch thing going on that I'd completely forgotten was happening in the background because you just get so drawn into it. It's compelling mm. as the, it can the, be. The other, the other thing that is really worth remembering is again and it's almost like part partly sort of uh, like ariaster in a way where it's like everything is is precipitated by the cult hmm. you know and they're in it throughout they're all at the funeral i think mm. a couple of, a couple of them are in the therapy group obviously joan is mm. and yeah. there's the um even one of like the stoners under the bleachers turns up in the cult at the end, and so it's meant to be that they're 
insidious and they've yeah. got there all the way through. And literally everything that happens to this family and everything they go through was completely it's... predetermined. They had no say. And it's... it's sort of horrible for that, that it's almost like also someone, someone engineered this to the point that you suffer. Mm. That's exactly why this film reminds me so much of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, oh, and that's careful, another comment cause... that I've heard a lot of people say as a criticism, and it's like, no, because it's it... not a criticism. How can no. you say a criticism? This is like one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Oh, oh no, I think it's a criticism, as in, oh, well, couldn't you do something original? You had to redo Rosemary's Baby, and I think it's not a fucking redo. I no, tell you, what, no, I tell really you what, speaking of Rosemary's Baby, and it's a similar era. It reminds me of Don't Look Now. Yes. As well, which is, I mean, I said, Chris, you will love Don't Look Now. I assure mm. you that, of that now. <laughs> but um, but Don't Look Now has that same sort of questioning thing going on, and it's very much a family drama, and it's about dealing, and again, it's about dealing with grief. Mm. Yeah. And not dealing with grief, which is very prominent in this. And I think because what is the quote? I I did write it down because it. Uh... Oh, actually, that was another thing I really liked in this: the um the school lessons, because they were. Oh, I figured they were hinting at what's going on, and they mm. they certainly did mention about the um uh, the predetermined you know fate. Yeah, yeah, it's in the first lesson he's and, doing. He's... And yeah, is it more tragic for it to be predetermined or him to have no choice or to him mm. to have a choice? Like yeah, you know, so again, that's just details that really it's all the way through. Yeah, what was the, what was the term? Yeah, there we go. As uh, Ariasta said he wants he wanted to make a film about suffering that took suffering seriously. Mm. And I think no, but I can understand where he's coming from because it's like this is, if in lesser hands, you'd take the piss out of a movie that didn't go to the lengths this does. Yeah. Mm. Because it would feel a bit shallow or a bit shit, where it's like, oh, well, they didn't seem that bothered. That it's, it's, it's actually very much like a lot of lower budget, lesser quality sort of horror stuff, where it's, you know, some hack's done it, where you're like, um, you know, it's a bit sort of Garth Marenghi where it'd be sort of like, maybe if everyone, if, maybe every, if everyone that you'd ever known and loved had died, maybe you'd be sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. That's rather than actually sort of somewhat something feeling like genuine. Because mm. let's face it, it's raw as fuck. Yeah. The interactions between the son and the mother, like you totally feel. You can be in either one of them's shoes very, very easily, but they they're just so against each other. And mm. like like you mentioned, Adam, it's that one scene when they're having dinner and she fucking loses it, and she oh. kind of gives him that olive branch and is like, "This is your opportunity to just say, look, I did this. It was it was a I made a fuck up. It's impacted all our lives and ruined all of our lives." If we can just use this as an opportunity to apologise to one another and get past it, then something's come out of it. And rather than that, he turns it into a, yeah, but you fucking did this. And it, the whole thing just falls apart. And you're like, oh, yeah. like, you, you totally feel for those people. Everybody oh, at that table. But, 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 that's, but that makes sense more so as she unveils what's happened over the time because of her, when he woke up 
and she was standing over yeah. him with the paint thinner and the match. And obviously she yeah. feels guilty about that, but they've never really resolved it. Like he is worried. And it How turns out that she, she well, but, but she does it. She did in her dream. She did never want him to be born. So it's like, yeah. there is, there is a serious underlying, you know, yeah, but darkness I mean, coming to him from her. Probably well, from her guilt. That. It's what turned, it's what turned uh, Ben Solo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, oh, Luke don't, don't give too much away. We, we might, we might, uh, this might be a hint as to what's coming. We might at some point be discussing something <laughs> similar. But, um, yeah, it's just, and I think, like you say, no one's wrong. Mm, yeah, no. yeah, it's just they're it's, all in pain. Yeah, but I tell you what, and it's a bit that I, I didn't remember from the the first time from the first watch but just the bit where uh, like right near the end where um the dad's driving the son home and he just bursts into tears at the fucking mm, at the, yeah, the lights traffic lights yeah and it's like oh my because he he has obviously been tense but he yeah. has tried to remain and do what he a could. peacemaker and try yeah. and keep everything rolling for a long time yeah and it's just got and actually that bit with the fucking broken nose mm. and again i don't know what it's like ariasta you know casting a spell and everything but the guy what's, what is his name because i've got to, give, got to give everyone their due on this but alex wolf who plays uh peter mm. he actually when they said oh yeah you slam your head into the desk and it breaks your nose he offered to do that <laughs> Jesus. Like, it was like, well, it will look real. I think because Ariaster had this thing where it was like everything he wanted should be as everything real. practical. Mm. If it could be done practically, he wanted it rather than yeah. shitty CGI or post production stuff. Like, even like the stuff with the, the chalkboard. Mm. It's just, it's ma- a magnet in a piece of chalk. Yeah. And a you magnet can totally see thing. that that is genuinely. But it's mm. genuinely doing it rather yeah. than. Like the shitty, yeah. badly <laughs> made CGI chalk that walks, that sort of glides across and floats around, like, yeah. looks slightly crap. Or it's like, hey, look, we can add crumbling dust. Yeah, you can't see that normally. <laughs> just because you can do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think he may have got into that sort of spirit of it almost where it's like, well, you know, what's going to be the most realistic way of me breaking my nose? I'll break my nose on that desk for you if you want. But so, Ariasta. Backed up and said, no, "No, you're not fucking doing that." <laughs> uh, and he said, "And so they, so the, they built. A, obviously, it's a prop desk, and it's got a foam lid. Mm. But he whacked his face into it so hard, even knowing it because he said, oh, it's a foam lid.' He didn't realize the bottom was solid yeah. and dislocated his jaw. Jesus God! So it's." You know, was that um, the shot they used of him so that when he brought his head back up, then they put it before? Because <laughs> that was quite a, an impressive. I, I, I genuinely don't know, but I can I can honestly say, imagine if William Friedkin had got his fucking hands on this poor. <laughs> Stop breaking your nose! You're gonna cut off harder. Me, you can't harder. Yeah. harder. Why you a girl? Do it again. Call, call that broken, you pussy. Get in here. <laughs> I've got so, to say, are you bringing that up, Adam? The four main characters in this. Um, mm are just absolutely staggering, really. Yeah. Like, the performances they bring. 
Gabriel Byrne, obviously, has been acting for a long time and, and has always been a solid actor. This well, is my favourite of his performances. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a few of them. So obviously you've got Usual Suspects, The Keep, fucking love yeah. him in The Keep, yeah. Gothic, Miller's Crossing, ah, and he's in Spider, which is a David Cronenberg film that we will never cover on the show because it's not a horror film, but it is fucking brilliant. And I forgot to mention it last week when we were talking about Sleepy Hollow. Miranda Richardson's in it, and she plays a dual role in Spider as well. So oh, okay. she plays the the witch and the um, uh, the stepmother, wicked yeah. stepmother in uh, Sleepy Hollow. Also, this was quite a good one for rolling on from Sleepy Hollow. There's a lot of decapitations, <laughs> and the and one of the main characters wears funny glasses at a couple of points. <laughs> You know, so it's it's there. Um, so yes, yeah, Spider, Stigmata, uh, End right. of Days, Dead Man, uh, Excalibur, uh, Ghost Ship, Diamond Skulls, Cool World, and yeah, he is just fucking great. Yeah, but, but in this, it's quite it's weird because it's quite a thankless role, really, because he doesn't really. He's just there. But yeah. that's it. Like he doesn't have that much to do in mm. you know in total in the film, but he just does what he needs to so well. Yeah, it's that light. It's it's quite a light sort of. In a weird way, it's a dad who's not quite sure. I think it is a dad who mm. feels a bit maybe ineffectual. <laughs> so, but um. So yes, yeah, so, do you say it, it? Kind of his role in the whole thing is just to moderate, pretty much between the mother and the the son. The mother uh, and the son, and then the mother moderates between the the uh, son and the daughter. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing as well, where it's like because when he says to her, "Well, she didn't want to go to that party," and it is, it's just oh, that I'm moment sure. just made me feel. So so uncomfortable, isn't it? Because I was it, even the second time round. I knew it wasn't ending well. I knew that dinner was not ending well. But still, when she gave him the opportunity for it all just to be slightly reconciled and from all to come back together and to just be a family and fix it, and then he just throws it all back in her face. It, oh, it's hell to watch. It's so painful. <laughs> it really is. But yeah, so Alex Wolf playing Peter, who's also in a band with his brother Nat, who is also an actor. Um, uh, this is uh, Millie Shapiro, who plays Charlie. This is her mm. first film that she did, but she her first professional acting role was playing uh, Matilda on the Broadway musical version of Matilda. Oh, um, cool. So, yeah, so she's done a lot of, so she's, you know, she's been acting a long time hmm. and i think i tell you what though and that's something they get very right with this film holy fuck would that be annoying someone keep clicking their tongue yes oh i get right up your tilt so yeah and yeah <laughs> it's a great thing because it is that every time you think somebody's just having a bit of a whimsical moment but when they hear that sound it's like no mm. there's, there's something there there's, yeah genuine it's a really well introduced plot point really yeah. that she's got a kind of it's like a nervous tick. Yeah. yeah 
mm. that you know as soon as you hear that that can only be her it's exactly. really it's yeah it is a it is, again it's just a very it's really simple but so fucking effective mm. and um but also um and i have to say i think joan's great because yeah. she does just yeah. feel like a lovely old woman yeah until you realize what's going on <laughs> but um she's been uh, she was in true detective she was the murderer's wife in true detective oh really you haven't made any flowers on me lately oh god yeah oh, that's nothing yeah. like her in this and she's aunt lydia who is like one of the main absolute shitbags in um the handmaid's tale which is mm. pretty much wall-to-wall sh- shit bags and she stands <laughs> out in that but she yes <laughs> but and um but she's also in apt pupil which i don't know if you've ever seen that's pretty good with ian mckellen as like a uh nazi uh it's a stephen king book actually like based on a stephen king short story and as per usual the short story ones they're always fucking great films yeah um but she's also in a film called Compliance, which is uh, a film about a genuinely horrible incident. Um, and I've seen, uh, I've did, I didn't remember her from that, but I now realising she's in it again. She's very chameleonic. She's she doesn't always, um, you know, it's not just sort of daffy old lady roles or anything like that. Or yeah. sort of, you know, she uh, she can be. Basically, girl Hitler mm. in The Handmaid's Tale. So, yeah, it's sort of, it's quite sort of, she's quite impressive. But I do love, like with the mat, where it was the mum made mats for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of, and it's it's weird because watching it this time around, I was like, fuck me, they really signpost that, don't they? Yeah. But the very but first, the first time, time I watched it, that didn't, mm. didn't yeah. register. No, and that's what I, that's why I think I enjoyed it more on the second watch, genuinely, because it, the first time you can't you don't know where it's going, and then that end just hits you out of nowhere. Just, so it, I think it's why it's, it's probably more desolate the first time around, whereas yeah. the second time, yeah, you feel a little yeah. more comfortable. I could imagine, but you do. You just watch it the whole time, going, "Why didn't I see that? Yeah, didn't I pick up? Why did that go unnoticed?" And it's. It's brilliantly made. It is. It's mm. a proper sixth sense movie where mm. once you know where it's going and you go back and watch it, you're like, it's full of signs the whole way through. Yeah. But because there's so much going, I think because mm. of the tension, so much goes, kind of falls by the wayside because you feel so uncomfortable but, watching it. But I think there's a lot that could could be signs as well so you're, you're trying to figure out like like say even with her doing her small models it felt like that was going to be something really important and it's and it's not apart uh, from apart from it does really i mean it's like that bit where you know she she's obviously because there's obviously like there's ones where it's um like her mum in the hospice yeah and sort of st- stuff that you don't actually see in the film but you sort of it gives you this idea that she she's Working stuff out with this art, yeah, with uh, uh, dioramas. And she'd so, made comments before about the grandmother always wanting to feed her, 
which yeah. you don't realise until you see the diorama, literally oh, he's, the, yeah, the, the breastfeeding yeah. the baby. Like, that's mm. fucking weird. Yeah. And I think there's... Uh, well, even that, where it's like, if you think about it, um, the brother who topped himself, his name's Charles. Mm. And then yeah. the, the daughter's called Charlie. Yeah. And it's and the of, grandmother wanted her to be a boy. Yeah, and she, she said, said Grandma well. wanted yeah. me to be a boy. But, well, as in a vessel for King Payment. Mm. And yeah, it's it's a very sort of um like watching it back, it really becomes like that story. Mm. And you really pick up on like again, like I say, like that opening like when she first goes to the um like the therapy meeting mm. and yeah that whole sort of thing takes on such a totally different meaning when you've gone back to it because everything's there that it's like oh no so she was doing this and she was doing you know she was yeah planning this this whole time and she mm. was uh you know going it goes back to her own children that she was trying to yeah sort of create a, a vessel and it's yeah there's a lot sort of there's just so much stuff in there that passes by, like you say, I think because you are just so every, because everything takes it, your focus. Yeah, everything has potential. Because it's where yeah. it's where all their energy is. Mm. That's why they're not spotting stuff. You can't take away from the, the other things in this that I, I made note. One of them that I didn't notice the first time is that buzzing sound. There's mm. like a a, a low hum bass that a lot of films use <clears throat> to kind of create tension and they put it on underneath scene it, it, mm. because of the room I watch it in I've got a lot of subs in there so yeah. I, I, that the, the bass kind of stands out for me and I was kind of pick up on it um but in this lovely in, up for that thank you um but they have it in really innocuous scenes when nothing is happening yeah. So it's completely irrelevant, and there's this horrible hum that's just running under everything. It's like it's like a swarm of bees. It's like super low sub bass that just it's the flies in the attic. Yeah, like mm. as it sort of you know it, it, towards the end, it, that's almost what it feels like. That's what that's been building up to, where it's almost it, like it is. But they put it in just like mm. it, it's her walking to the supermarket across the car park. Nothing yeah. at all is happening, and it's just got that noise. So that, if something unpleasant isn't happening on screen, that sound is there. So you're never comfortable. You can never yeah. relax. You can never get a moment off. It um, never takes you. It never takes you off edge. No, it, it's two hours and seven minutes of pure uncomfortableness, one way or another. And um, a weird thing though that I did notice, and this is. Is, I mean, it's obviously a, it's a different composer. Again, showing how sort of prepared Ariaster is. I know that he spoke to the Haxon cloak who did the music for uh, Midsummer. Yeah, he spoke to him while he was making Hereditary. Mm -hmm. So he was already sort of like, right, well, I've got the prep. This is going like clockwork. I've got the prep, so I'll start prepping the next one. And he was already in contact with the composer on that. But it's obviously the music's quite a big sort of component. You know, if mm. you're contacting someone two years ahead, because apparently 
he listened to a lot of Colin Stetson's solo stuff, and that's some really good, like classical, classical is the wrong word, like orchestral, avant-garde sort of mm. jazz sort of stuff, and it's really, um, really dark. Mm. But it's interesting that both of them, at certain points, there was something I said on Midsummer, which was, you feel the music is on the cult's side. Yeah. Because the music throughout Midsummer is beautiful. In a sort of like, hey, isn't it happy? <laughs> He's found a place to stay and we're setting fire to her boyfriend. But that's what I was thinking <laughs> he'd done so well with Midsummer was that it had mm. that upbeat feel while being so twisted and dark. Whereas but, this is, obviously the whole film is darker. Yeah, but until, until, that, until the final bit where the body is floating up into the treehouse mm. and you've suddenly got like what can only be described as like angelic revelatory sort of music. <laughs> yeah. It's all sort of like <gasps> really up and bright and sort of like, you know, being washed up on a being shipwrecked and washed up on a beach and it's the sun hitting you where it's like <laughs> I did actually fucking live. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of amusing <laughs> yeah. but accompanying hey isn't it great? Look they've got King Payman's shown up <laughs> and he's got his vessel. Because and, this woman has just cut her own head off with a fucking cheese wire yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Th that is also I think something that you don't and it's I'm glad that it's there that there's none of that sort of like, Mom, think about it, fight back, you know you love me. Yeah. He, well, A, because they've spent the whole film proving that they probably don't love each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. But more to the fucking point, at that stage, she is purely an animal. Mm -hmm. Like when she's, she's clung to the ceiling, then she runs out of the corner, and that way she's just banging her head yeah. in frustration. Like, oh. God, Not even in frustration, but genuinely, can I get through this door by just smashing my face into it a thousand times? It's like that an insect. It's like ants. Genuinely horrible. Mm. That just bang, bang. It's the speed of it. Like yeah. it's not like headbutt. Head, it's like bang, 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 bang. And then when the camera cuts down and you see it's her clung to the ceiling, headbutting it like there's no tomorrow. It's just oh, because it's, it's literally it, it's literally the thing of like. What's the speediest way to get through this? Well, we'll just smash a, smash this thing's head into it. Oh. That will get through. Do you know what I mean? And it's so... But also, you notice that. What's, what finally drives him to jump out the window? Old man cock. Yeah, of course it is. I thought that. Because it's an old man and two old women. And I was like, oh, don't be mean to the old women. They're not that unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> It did, so, yeah, but I, I, it's it's a very, it's also weird because it's that final change up. I mean, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of from the very first frame of the fucking film. Yeah. But it is such a dramatic fucking change up because yeah. up until that point, it's been an exercise in like unease and stuff like that. And then you get what? A, a, Sort of just a literal five minute blitz, yeah. Of just this, 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 and yeah, like it's pretty much from when Gabriel Burns set for, uh, combats. But is and it? Then... 
it's as soon as you reach that point of no going back. Like, you know, it's like when people tell you things about, you know, oh, we had this Ouija board and then this happened. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of circumstantial. As soon as this story crosses that point where it's no longer circumstantial, it's like, right, it's now just going to ramp up to fuck. Yeah, and it falls out. There's no time for you to get out of this story. If you're here now, that's the end of you. You're never going to tell this story beyond here. And that's what, as someone who, as I've said before, you know, doesn't kind of believe those kind of, you know, um, ghost stories and stuff. That's that's the thing. It's that difference between something happening, you're going, that's kind of weird, that's kind of creepy, and that point where you're like, right, this is beyond explanation. This is where it's all going to go totally out of hand. And it does it so quickly, you can't even... There's nothing you can do to get out of the way of it. It's like a train. It's going to hit you. It's just... You only get one... Oh, no. (laughs) You get a morning's worth of oh, no. You get one oh, no, and then fuck me. You are gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that sort of... um, Again, it's that thing of like like you say it's that crossover point of no this is definitely a supernatural incident and then it doesn't give you the, the film doesn't give you the time to sort of think if oh is this realistic or anything it's just like no this is fucking gone this is this has gone off yeah that accelerated well, reasonably slowly but <laughs> <laughs> but really when it gets momentum going that's really um, it's really quite something. Um, it's just beautifully done. It's, mm. it, it, I think it's, I think it's perfectly paced the way it works like that. Like you say, I'm sure people who don't have the patience won't make it to the end, and they don't deserve the payoff. Like yeah, if, you, if you sit through the two hours, you deserve that seven minutes of absolute mentalness that happened at the end. Um, that describe that the page basically explains everything that you've seen up until that point in perfect clarity. The, um, the pacing is what helps the realism as well, because yeah. it's, it's not it's it yeah it feels like you're almost watching normal time and there you know as things are happening it's yeah it doesn't seem unrealistic in that way. No, I think it's also it is also that thing like I say like every every time something happens. No one reset. No, you know it's because because the characters are written so well, and because they perform so well. Mm. It's you know you you don't have that thing of like oh well you've gone back to normal after this yeah. or whatever. Everything changes, everything irrevocably. Yeah, yeah. As it, I mean as it would do. I mean there's a lot. You know it's a lot of death. Mm. Yeah. You know, as well as other worrying shit yeah. going off and things like that. So, yeah, it never, you, it never sort of languishes back or has anything like that. It propels forward, and then yeah, just suddenly accelerates quite dramatically and smash mm. into a brick wall when you totally don't expect yeah. it. Which is why it works. It's yeah, yeah it's a fantastic movie. Um, as I say, when Adam suggested it as one to watch, I was both excited and, <laughs> and slightly dreading it back, but dreading. Yeah, I was. I was like, yeah, this is an absolutely brilliant film. It mm. is a hard watch. 
This so is got... that you go into thinking, I'm going to have a great time. Yeah. I'm going to pick up some martinis and I'm going to get some snacks. Like, this is one you go into knowing mm. it's going to be a gruelling time. But, oh, it's fantastic. And it's on... Um, it's on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Because Netflix, Netflix has some really good shit. Like I, I really like Netflix. Totally I, pleased I've got my, my subscription. Their horror stuff, nine times out of ten, if you go and search things, people go, "Have you seen this? You should watch that." And then you go and put it in Netflix. They seem to keep stuff for a, a very short period of time. Yeah, that's actual true. genuinely good horror shit is such a minimum, unfortunately. Well, we mentioned them last episode, and obviously this is an A A twenty four production, and I think a lot of their stuff is on Netflix. So I think that, that but uh, again, this is like the other other films they've done: Midsummer, The Witch, The Lighthouse, mm. Green Room, The Lobster, uh, Killing Eight, of the they've, Deer, they've not Freak done Time. many bad ones. So they, far. They, That's oh no, I think I think they've pretty I think they've good. Done, this is of the of the genre stuff that I'm interested in, I suppose. Mm. But certainly, yeah, I mean, they really like Ex Machina, Under the Skin, mm. Us. Um, I really want to see they've they're they're also doing that upcoming Green Knight film that we've talked about on here. Mm. Uh, again, they're just really ploughing a distinct furrow, but they. Really do friend of I mean stuff like this like I say like the witch yeah you know they they hold they hold a lot of similar sort of feelings or certainly they're in the same sort of caliber yeah. or anything you know there's nothing there's nothing the witch is not it's no but, but similarly it's so compelling just you you your grip all time and yeah it's it's so well done. That's it. They, they seem to produce just, yeah, it's, they get it right, it seems. I mean, I, I think mm. technically a bit like The Witch. Um, not as much as I found it with The Witch, but it could be construed as a happy ending. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's, yeah. yeah it's, from, uh, from, the, from the cult's point of view. An unusual. And King Payman's point of view. Yeah, pretty good. They've, uh, this is their best Yeah, best this is time. their <laughs> best day. <laughs> And and to be fair, by the end, once you've once you've sat with the family for like yeah, two hours, yeah. you think actually probably you, all, you of... all being dead is probably <laughs> the best outcome. Yeah. Yes. Um. I was, yeah. So, mm. the, but there's other there's other bits as well. The séance, you know, where she said, "Oh, it's in a funny language" or whatever like that, mm. is a mixture of Hebrew and Enochian, which is the occult angelic language originally recorded by John Dee and Edward Kelly in their experiments. So, again, bit of cult? Yeah, bit of cult, yeah. mate. I think, I, th I think, like you say, Lee, I think he probably does his research a disservice or his own knowledge yeah, on these right, things yeah. a disservice. When Peter's possessed in class, you know his sort of hand contorts up and uh, yes. at a weird angle. That's the angle that the... This, this, the Puppet, uh, the the statue, like I know the right. statue has. I noticed that on this watch, yeah, it's the 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 arm and the fingers are all in the same yeah. And the other hand is actually doing an inverted. You know, on uh, portraits of Jesus, he'll be sort of doing. It, it's almost like a victory sign. Yeah, 
but it's like that sort of a sign. Yeah, the the uh, statue's doing an inverted version of that. So is, again, is that the famous Baphomet is doing in the the famous? I think perhaps, I think very possibly, very possibly. Yes, I think that's that what is, I assumed it was. It was the the famous Baphomet. Yeah, and the written on the walls there's Satoni, which is not a bloke called Anthony who's one got a knighthood. Um, which is apparently a word found in a ritual for raising the dead, but that seems to be quite a modern one, so I don't think yeah. it's quite as... Then there's uh, Zazaz, which is part of Alistair Crowley's mantra that he used invoking the demon Chronazon. And then Lithosh Pandemonium. Lithosh is Hebrew meaning to open, and Pandemonium, I mean, obviously it's a term we use for sort of Chaos. Loud events and chaos and stuff. It's actually Latin for all demons. Mm. Pandemonium. Pandemonium, uh, yeah. And mm. it's how Satan describes hell in Milton's Paradise. So essentially that is open hell. Mm. Or no open pandemonium. So it's, again, there's so many... It's That's what a lot... I do really love his films from all the... I've I mean, I've had a great week researching this. And I had mm. a similar time when I was doing Midsummer because it was just, there's so much to get your teeth into. Yeah. And sort of read about and things. And it's not just... And equally, I do like an internal mythology. You know, within, within a film, if someone does something, writes something really great or poetic or something like that, I think that, that is as equally as valid. But it's just really nice to sort of be able to go into these areas that in that are of interest anyway but it's sort of yeah it's I'm, almost uh, like an easter egg isn't it so like you watch the <laughs> film the film was brilliant and then i did the same i was like i saw the words written on the what so i went and googled them yeah and some of them it just take you to say down rabbit holes of like oh alistair crowley had part of yeah. the ceremony and like so it's, it's someone who has literally just done so much background research that yeah. a lot of it probably goes unnoticed and falls by the wayside, but the well, fact I mean, it's in there makes it solid. Yeah, well, I mean, even character-wise, apparently Ariasta wrote, because obviously he writes as well as directs, hmm. um, he wrote character biographies before he wrote the script. Hmm. So he knew them and their backstory. And, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, so his internal research, if you like, or his imaginative research is equal to his. That, that's got to be research, whatever you want to call quite it. an experience for him to write something like this. I wonder just how you know to learn the characters that well and get into all the details. You know, I wonder how dark it is to be it's thinking about be, this just it's so much. A horrible headspace to be in. Possibly that long a time where you're like, right, I need to be every member of a family and they all hate each other. And two of them are going to die very Mm -hmm. horrible deaths. Like it's, and then at the end, all of them are going to die very horrible deaths. Yeah, Yeah, but is it is it like sort of a lot of the best black metal vocalists that we've (laughs) we've known personally have all turned out to be very sweet people. This so is, true. Is, is it the exorcism of it? It allows That's you to get out. Yeah. It's, it's out there now, so yeah. Yeah. And um, so, so what's rainbows and lollipops? <laughs> what's he got coming up 
next? Um, apparently, next he wants to do a four-hour horror comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a tad worried by four hours because I don't think, you know, with the best will in the world, I don't think Mel Brooks could do a four-hour. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think Shaun of the Dead would have lasted for four hours. And that's Which one I for four hours? No, you know, I just don't think any of the any of the truly greats could stand that length this, of time. But this is the thing. So he'll do a four-hour comedy. They'll get a decent editor in. We'll get a fantastic horror comedy. That's crossed. true. Well, I mean, the, I think also this is something. I mean, obviously, I watched the director's cut of Midsummer, which wasn't the theatrical one, and yeah. I did, and I. I, I'm glad that I did because I'm ne- looking into it and seeing what was cut out. It was stuff mm. that definitely added to the experience of the film. But yeah. I think I think with this, apparently, this uh, the original rough cut was like three hours. So he's chopped an hour out of this. Yeah, and, and thankfully because you couldn't. I don't think you could bear. I couldn't. This, I this couldn't have rewatched it if this was an hour longer. Suffering. Over that period of time. And, and also, this brings me to one question. Where the fuck did the dog come from? Suddenly, at one point, the dog is growling at the sun. And it's obviously, yeah. it's like, it's one of those moments that you get in right. horror films where the dog turns against someone in the fact that otherwise faithful... But was he Wait, was, wasn't he house. dreaming then, though? I don't know. Well, no, because we saw him dead later because the daughter walked past him when she went out for a little walk when she was following the blipping light. Um, ah. But so, yeah, it's so, just a bit weird that it's sort of like, there's a dog in this film. But... Yeah, so clearly it's, it's all its lines were cut. Well, well yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's face it, the reason the dog's dead outside is because they've obviously not fed it. They can't be bothered to get a fucking EpiPen for the daughter. Yeah, like the the dog's hierarchy is right down the bottom. That's what he's barking about. It's like, mate, will you feed me? No one gives a shit. You're up there making silly models. He's out all bleeding day. Yeah, dying geese. Because obviously it was Alan Ford as a dog. <laughs> so next week is our Halloween episode. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, we'll be coming out just before Halloween. So. Uh, dropping this on you now, Chris. We will be watching because we've never fucking watched it until this point. John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh, the original, you might say. That's yeah, good. The original slasher. Yeah. I just, I just had that on my iPad screen. Ah. Randomly, because it came up connected with this. <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, so we'll be watching that next week as our mm. Halloween episode. That yeah. seems very fitting. Indeed. Um, so anyone who hasn't seen Halloween, who isn't following out Welcome to Horror, being welcomed to horror, why have you not seen Halloween? Uh, but if you are following our trajectory, then obviously we clearly appreciate the fact that you haven't jumped ahead. So, yeah. Yeah. We shall see how it all goes. So. Uh, We will see you all in a week's time for Halloween, just Mm. ahead of Halloween. Thanks very much for listening. Good Good night. Good night.